This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Blush. I'm your host, Heva, and it is the 98th episode. I know, I know I do this shit every fucking week. Also, like, couldn't have even made it one full second into the episode before I start cursing. I'm so sorry if anyone is bothered by my, like, sailor mouth. Sometimes, um, Ozzy hasn't listened in a long time. Also, if it's your first time listening, welcome to the show. My name is Heva. Uh, my boyfriend's name is not Ozzy, but we call him Ozzy on the show. He is Australian. Um, anyway, he used to listen, and at some point he was like, do you think, like, maybe you could just try like cursing just a bit less. Like it just, I'm not saying stop. I'm just saying it doesn't quite have to be like every fourth word. Right. And I was like, "Mm, yeah, I don't think that's going to work. So thank you so much for the feedback though. (laughs) But uh, yeah, anyway, today was like a little bit extra unhinged. Uh, where was I with this? Yeah, I know I do this every episode, but it's just, it's the countdown to 100. I mean, we, we've got to get pumped, right? Also speaking of the 100th episode, so if you've been listening for a bit, you might recall a few episodes ago, I don't know, somewhere in the top 90 countdown, I would say. I went on kind of, um, I guess a bit of an, an un- hinged <laughs> tangent about mylar balloons like it, it really it was it went on for quite a while not as iconic as the chips tangent but definitely you know one of the bigger tangents on the show about mylar balloons and how I really want the like mylar balloons like the 100 for 100 episodes like those gold ones I'm not going to repeat it if you're new here go back to it or just like just really consider yourself lucky that you missed it I think is probably the better move I don't know anyway um so I really really want them like I've talked about it a lot and um also Ozzy's gonna be out of town until that night and so I just assumed he would get them for me but like the balloon shop might be closed when he lands like I just don't think he's gonna have time so I think I might have to buy them for myself like some kind of loser is that so losery (laughs) okay anyway um so I've been really pumped about these balloons right like I don't like I'm not like I don't have balloons often which I'm like and if you remember that in that tangent I was deprived of the like balloon people that I wanted they're called air walkers by the way I believe um that I wanted as a child anyway so I was on TikTok the other night 
and I'm just scrolling as one does, you know, like looking at chef reactions, making fun of everyone's recipes or, you know, the usual shit I look like, look at on TikTok, which like I have to say my algorithm is so fire. I'm obsessed with it. I browse on my personal TikTok, not on the blush TikTok, um, cause I just have a really, really sick algorithm right now and there's nothing better. Anyway, um, op pups, one of those TikToks that's like, you know, like that people like will do at or not do at they'll stitch where it's like someone being like, what's something you can't stop thinking about, or what's something you can't wrap your mind around or whatever. Uh, uh, okay. Quick tangent. I saw another funny one of those where someone was like, uh, the fact that in order to sleep, you have to pretend that you're asleep. <laughs> And I just can't stop. Every night when I go to bed, I think about it. I'm like, I'm just pretending that I'm asleep in hopes that I then fall asleep. Hilarious. Anyway, so I saw another one. And this man is like, you know, I can't wrap my mind around the fact that um, helium, like basically talks about how helium is like scarce and it's like not renewable. And like, like there's a finite supply on this earth and we're going to run out of it eventually. And then he starts talking about all the various things that helium is used for. Now, I don't remember his list because it was super, super important things. And I knew exactly where this was going, that there's all these really, really, really important uses of helium. And we also then use them to make balloons float and how that seems like a super trivial use of helium given all the other important shit that we use helium for and the fact that there is a finite source of helium on this planet and um i'm really upset about it i i'm really struggling with the concept right now because i just i really wanted my 100 balloons for 100 episodes like I don't, like, I haven't had balloons in so long, and I was deprived of balloons as a child, and I just don't think it's fair. Other people balloons all the time. Also, what do I think, like, goes on in other people's homes? Like, I just seem to think that there's, like, like, people are just filling their homes with balloons on a regular basis. But, like, other people had balloons, like, helium balloons. Like, I, I didn't even see a helium balloon for, like, most of my childhood other than those air walkers that my mom would never buy me um like I didn't like the first time I ever had helium balloons for a birthday was my 16th and that was probably the last time I had helium balloons on a birthday um well I don't know people would like kind of give each other like 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 <laughs> gift bags with candy in it and like a balloon or two for your birthday and like a marker of like how many friends you have is like how many balloons you're toting around so like again the point stands this was in high school I don't know if I said that part of it so the point stands like I <laughs> have had less balloons than other people have had in their lives and I'm vegan I'm doing so much for the planet it. Can I just have my balloons? Or um, are there other gases that we can use to make balloons float? Because he did say that in the TikTok. But like, are they commercially available? Because I'm willing to source a more planet-friendly balloon. But like, I just, I really think it's unfair if I don't get, I, I, I sound like a three-year-old. But maybe I sound like a three-year-old because as a three-year-old, other three-year-olds probably had balloons and I didn't have balloons. So now I'm allowed to sound like a three-year-old. Oh. <laughs>
<laughs> okay, um, we're just going to move on because this is unhinged. And this is about to be by far in the entire history of the podcast, the roughest transition that has ever happened. And it's not my fault. There is quite literally not a seamless way to do this. So we're going to go from me whining about wanting balloons like some kind of little cunt to talking about what's going on in Iran. Sorry, guys, you have to enjoy that. But um, as you probably know, uh, there have been protests in Iran and around the world in support of what's going on in Iran because a young girl named Massa was um, murdered because her hijab was loose. Um, now, this is not something that is rare in Iran, which is something that might be shocking to those of you who are not familiar with Iran. Also, if it's your first time listening, my parents are from Iran. I never lived there, but like I grew up very much immersed in Persian culture. And also a quick aside, um, Iran is a country to be Iranian is an ethnicity, whereas, I mean, it's a nationality, sorry, whereas being Persian is an ethnicity. It's um, the majority of Iranians are Persian, but there are non Persian Iranians, also like Armenians and Kurds um, and other ethnic groups within Iran, other minority ethnic groups, but the majority are Persian, which generally like refers to the language you speak and your ethnicity. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I am Persian and I am Iranian and, um, you know, to be an Iranian who doesn't live in Iran is something that I would imagine is hard for all of us because we get to experience a level of freedom that the people who are back at the homeland do not. And I would imagine everyone else also feels an amount of survivor's guilt for that because like, how did I get so lucky to live in a country where I'm not murdered based on the way my hair falls? Um, and again, this is a pretty common occurrence. The problem is that we don't have access to what goes on in Iran most of the time. And the question I've been asked most commonly over the past few weeks is, is it really as bad as it seems? And my answer is always this. It's a lot worse than it seems. It's a lot worse than what we can see here. Anyway, so... You know, I don't get political on this podcast, but in this situation, I'm making an exception because <laughs> it's my home country and because I'm really, really bummed out at how little people are talking about it. But I'll get to that in a minute. I just I do want to address like a few things. Um, the Iranian people are very separate from the government. Uh, it's a very dictatorial government and uh Pretty much I can like say this with certainty. No one who doesn't work for the government actually supports the government. And I'd even venture to guess a lot of the people who do work for the government also don't support the government. They just can't speak out. It's not like America where you can just say you don't like Biden and you're fine, you know? I mean, if you say shit like that in Iran, you're killed, you're imprisoned, you can't do that. So they live under extreme fear. They live under 
extreme tyranny. They live under extreme danger and extreme oppression. And that's just been the situation for what close to 50 years now. God, it's it still blows my mind. Just random aside that like the seventies are not 30 years ago. Like it just doesn't seem to work. Um, but anyway, back to Iran, it, it's just, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Um, every time I like see or read anything about it, I cry. And the bravery that people are showing, I mean, to protest in Iran is quite literally signing up to die. It's not like protesting here. The cops aren't creating barricades for you. And like, yeah, I know once in a while people die when protesting here, but like th that is a luxury situation. In Iran, people are walking down the street right now with sniper rifles pointed at them. Um, anyway, like I said, it's, it's a lot worse than what we see. And I just, I really want to encourage you if you're listening to this podcast, especially if you are white, please share, please talk about it. I want to remind you what that when Russia invaded Ukraine, almost every single person that I follow on Instagram was talking about it 24 seven, as you should. But when this happens, none of the white people that I follow talk about it. And like, I'm not going to lie, that hurts. Because like the, and I understand that you probably know less about the situation and you're seeing less about the situation. I get all those things, but the way that it feels to me is, well, we only care when it's people who look like us. Um, and I don't want to be accusatory. I just, I do want you to look internally and I do want to encourage you to talk about it more. I'm going to read off what one of my close friends, Varda, put on her Instagram stories she wrote, share, share everything. Iran is not a, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like really trying to not cry. Oh my God, this is so unhinged. I'm so sorry. Iran is not a Western country where one can freely travel to and physically help the cause. Information is key. Iranians are not Western hating terrorists. They are free, loving spirits being repressed and misrepresented in one or more ways. In more than, ways than one, sorry. Iran is a country rich in history made up of Persians, Kurds, Azeris, Armenians, and other minorities, both ethnic and religious. Together, they create a beautiful culture that was the first to declare human rights, where men and women were equal for hundreds of years, where artistry and freedom was celebrated. I'm so sorry. I'm crying this hard on the podcast. Um, the end of that sentence was where artistry and freedom was celebrated. Um, she wrote, she continues, I don't blame the average Joe from middle of nowhere, Iowa. I'm sorry for that. It's a little extreme uh, for thinking every Iranian is a USA bashing terrorist, terrorist because that's all they've been shown in the media. But we are no longer reliant on old news outlets and know better than to blindly trust them. Therefore, it is up to us, not just Persians, everyone following what is going on to share the truth. Share posts posts showing that Iranian people are not being represented by the Islamic government. The rest of the world deserves and needs to see what the true meaning of being Iranian is in order to understand the severity of what's going on. Um, 
so yeah I wanted to read that because I thought she said it well and also I want to emphasize this like we can't go we can't donate the only thing we can do is create more awareness because the more eyes that are on the Islamic uh, Republic of Iran, the government, the harder it is for them to keep killing people. When everyone is paying attention, that's when they stop killing. So please, please, please share. Please, like, you know, the vigor that you show for every other human rights and feminist issue, please show that for this one too, because the people of Iran are people also who also deserve to be cared about like you care about every other issue. Okay, sorry, that was really unhinged. Okay, there's like really no good way to transition out of this. Also, like I can't believe I'm like literally sobbing. Um, but you know, another thing I want to touch on that's <laughs> racism related. <laughs> and like I, I get it. It makes sense when like it's just a natural biological thing. When people look like us, we tend to care more. And I have another story on that. So I was at a weekend, I was at a wedding last weekend. And, um, it was a wedding of law school people and my friend officiated the wedding who she's from, Ooh, I think she's from Nepal. Ooh, am I wrong on that? I think she's from Nepal and, um, she's absolutely stunning. She's quite tall, like could be a model. And if you don't know this about me, I'm quite short, could not be a model. I'm five foot flat on a good day. Um, but she's quite tall and she has like a much, much darker complexion than me. And she was officiating the wedding. She was wearing a champagne colored dress. I was wearing a black dress. So she does the ceremony. It's over. We're in the reception. We're having fun, whatever. I go to the bar. I got a drink. At some point, I start to head outside. And this woman woman comes up to me. She's like, oh, my God, you did such a good job. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you did so good. And I was like, with what? Like, And I'm like, I mean, I am just searching every possible explanation in my head of what she's talking about. And I'm like, what? Like, is it like my dress? Like, oh, my God, thank you so much. Like. <laughs> Like just the narcissism, the places that I'm going in my head. And she goes, with the ceremony. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then it clicked to me that she is confusing me with my friend who is brown. We're both brown, but we're quite literally different races. I mean, she's technically Asian. She's Southeast Asian, which I believe technically falls under being Asian. I am Persian, which technically falls under being white. Um, moreover, we have completely different complexions. Can't emphasize that enough, but the different heights, completely different heights. But the real kicker for me is that she was wearing a champagne colored dress and I was wearing a black dress not the same color. Like if we were wearing the same color dress, I wouldn't have thought twice about it. But it's the fact that we were wearing such different colored dresses that I was like, okay, no, you're talking about the other brown girl. Thank you so much though. And listen, she's stunning. Like I'll, I'll take being confused with her any day. And I've been playing it over in my mind a lot. Cause I'm like, is that like, what label would you assign to that? And this is what I've come up with. I want to call it straight up racism. And here's why. Because when she looked at both of us at separate times, she didn't see what we look like. 
she didn't see even what color fucking dress we were wearing. These are floor length dresses. I mean, most of our body was covered in dress. Like it's the number one thing that I notice in people, but whatever. She didn't see like even the difference in features and things like that, which is a lot bigger of an ask than noticing the dress color. All that she saw in the two of us was not white and not white. And to me, that's, 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 I mean, it's not like intentional racism. It's not, you know, KKK level racism, but it's, it's not, not racist. Do you know what I mean? And I don't blame her. I understand, but I think that there's kind of an easy solution for this surround yourself with people who don't look like you. And if you don't have an option to do that in real life, watch TV shows of people who don't look like you so that you can start seeing people who don't look at you, look like you. Um, I remember when the BLM protests, the 2020 variety of it, not 2014, um, were going on. I took a look around at the TV that I was watching and I was like, okay, I watch a lot of housewives franchises, but I don't watch the two that are predominantly black. Why is that? And so I started watching The Real Housewives of Potomac. And let me tell you, they might be the best franchise in general. They're also like the most stunning ladies on the face of this planet. Um, Anyway, so like just I'd like to encourage people to just try exposing ourselves more to people who don't look like us. And then when you do that, you by nature start caring a bit more about people who don't look like you. And I I don't mean this to sound like accusatory towards people. I know I like really cried a lot back there. Like I understand. I don't blame anyone. I just, I am saying like, if you are someone who post even shared one thing about Ukraine and has been completely silent about what's going on in Iran, like, please just change that. I'm not accusing you of anything, but just change it. Like, I'm like, please, like, okay. Anyway, another thing that I learned at this wedding um, is that babies have, baby boys have gigantic balls. I mean, gigantic balls. Balls. So the, I believe it was the wedding planner, although I'm not entirely sure what her role was in the wedding, but like certainly someone involved in the BTS of the wedding had a baby strapped to her chest. Adorable. Love the vibe. I think if I were to ever have children, like I would full like kangaroo pouch my children. Like I think I would surgically create an extra layer of skin. Like no baby Bjorn. I will surgically implant a baby Bjorn. So that child is just to my chest 24 seven, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so when I, I went to pee, um, the first time <laughs> detail no one cared about, but I felt the need to share. She was changing her baby on the baby changing station. And I, like a drunken idiot, go up to her and I'm just chit-chatting, 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 because that's what a mother wants when they're on the job and trying to quickly change the baby. I'm like, oh, let me just not shut up to you for no apparent reason. We've never spoken before this. And as I'm in the middle of like a mile a minute talking... <laughs> She's like, you know, pulling the um, 
the what do you call it the diaper uh, for the child to wipe them and um you know she's kind of lifting his legs up and all of a sudden I was like holy shit those are massive balls and I just trail off because I completely lose my thought and I was like I'm so sorry I'm so distracted by your child's testicles and she's like oh my god no they're massive right and I was like yeah and she's like yeah I I didn't know when he was first born I was like holy shit is something wrong and they're like no no baby boys just have massive balls like they're so big that I think what happens is they are born with like pretty much adult size balls and then the rest of the body grows into the balls it is the craziest thing I've ever seen up until when I just started sobbing on my own podcast okay should we move along um what else is there to talk about okay I want to touch on a few things in pop culture um, so as I'm sure you know, Adam Levine, the Maroon 5 singer, was like cheating on his wife um with some internet chick, whatever, who gives a shit. Um, that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about Emrata. So Sarah Foster, who I guess is David Foster's child, if I'm understanding this correctly, I don't know what else she's known for. I honestly, I know like exceptionally little about celebrity culture. Like I was so unaware and distracted from celebrity culture up until like COVID times, I would say. And like for many reasons, um, I would say number one on them was that I was such a pick me girl. And I was so like, I only have cool interests, like smoking pot and fish and like bacon and candy. Like I'm not like I'm above, you know, pop culture, celebrity culture and other things that are kind of deemed girly because like internalized misogyny, you know? Um, but as I, you know, have was starting to heal and like coming into my authenticity more and like, uh, you know, was in lockdown. I started to learn a little bit more about pop and celebrity culture. I still wouldn't say it's like a marker of like my personality. Like it's the biggest thing I care about, but I'm a little bit more aware of what's going on. But yeah, I don't really know who Sarah Foster is. I do believe she's David Foster's daughter though. And David Foster is like a musical composer and he was married to Yolanda Hadid. Anyway, um, kind of came off as a, an asshole on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, but that's neither here nor there. So Sarah Foster made a TikTok where she was like basically saying, I forgot exactly what she was saying. I mean, obviously she was saying that like Adam's dirty for cheating on his pregnant wife, but also that like the chick isn't innocent and all this, like he's very famous. She knew he was married, blah, blah, blah. And then Emrata um, stitched Sarah Foster's TikTok and she said something super cool where she's like, I don't understand why we continue to blame men for what women do. I mean, blame women for what men do. I'm so sorry. Um, and she's like, especially when there's this massive imbalance of power, she's like a girl in her young twenties. He's like a famous older man. Like it's not like we can't keep blaming women for men's infidelity, blah, blah, blah. Here's why I think this is really fucking cool. Emrata was famously just cheated on, like really not that long ago. Wouldn't you think if this had just happened to you, you would be so much harder and so much more like gung-ho on like, fuck 
you know, like, fuck these chicks who like go after famous married men, blah, blah, blah. But instead the exact opposite approach. And I think that's really fucking cool of her. Like she clearly only blames her husband and not the other girl for her situation. And again, I just, I I think that's really cool. And like, she's been talking more lately and like, she really is like, a feminist and I'm kind of really impressed by her lately. Whereas like before I thought she was like vapid and like, I don't know. She just was always so like, like at the same, like she'd be like, Oh, everyone only like talks about my body. But then also she'd be like my body, my body, my body, my body. And I was like, okay, but like you are talking about your body more than anyone else is talking about your body, baby girl. Like, (laughs) I don't know if you're aware of that, but lately I've been really, really impressed by her. So yeah, um, just want to highlight that. Uh, she's been posting on TikTok a bit. You could look at her, uh, if you're on TikTok would recommend it. Also in the cheating space, I want to talk about this. The Celtics coach, whose name I can't remember, it's Ime something, Ime Udoka. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that last name right. I do believe I'm pronouncing the first name right. So he's the Celtics coach, and um, I'm talking about basketball, by the way. (laughs) I don't know that much about sports, but I know just a tiny bit about this. So I just want to touch on this. So the Celtics were in the NBA finals last season and they had a completely like young, unexperienced team. Every single player, it was their first time in the finals and they were playing Golden State who like every single player there, it was like their 245th time in the finals. Like insane. Like the fact that he got this team that had so little experience into the finals is huge. Also, I personally loved him and here's why. It's like kind of a dumb reason, but I stand behind it. So during basketball games, they'll like the reporters will do like little like sideline interviews with the coaches like during breaks before they go to a commercial break. And usually it's like, what do you think you're doing well? And they're like, you know, we're like really playing with our heart and like we're going to get it together and like we're going to persevere and like all these vague things. And you're like, OK, cool. Like you just said literally nothing. Whereas when Ime was interviewed, he'd be like, well, we're passing really strongly, but like we're not like we could be shooting better, especially from the three point line. And like the other team is doing so well at defense specifically with this. And like, if we want to win, we're going to just have to improve this. And it's like, oh, you were so specific and just gave so much fucking information. And like, that was totally worth my time watching. And he's the only coach I've seen do this. It's like everyone else, it's just kind of a nuisance. I think when you're in the middle of a game, especially a playoffs game, and some like reporter comes and is like, hey, talk for 30 seconds. And so they're just like, blah, blah, blah. Whereas like he would just give really thoughtful, thorough information. And one thing that I always appreciate in any person in any situation is he would be like really upfront and honest about their own shortcomings and how to get around it. And that's just a trait that I really, really fuck with in people in general. So 
all this to say, um, I was a huge, huge, huge fan of him. So over the past week or so, I believe it came out that he was cheating and he was cheating on his fiance, Nia Long, which like if you're a bit older and were ever into like kind of like rap-ish culture, you might remember how fucking iconic Nia Long was. Like I can think of like 10 rap songs off the top of my head that would rap about it. Like what was that like Uchi Wally Wally song? It was like, like Nia Long in a cherry thong with the lights on or something like that like she was iconic she was a queen she was stunning like I mean she is she's still alive and she still very much looks good but I'm just saying like if you're a bit younger you might not remember or like if you really really were like completely unaware of like black arts then you also might not know but like Nia Long was iconic in the early aughts. So I didn't even know he was with her, but he cheats on her, which like, okay, whatever. Like it just seems to be a rite of passage in the NBA. Like what, like, I don't know what it is about that sport that seems to corral every single human being that has issues with fidelity. And they all just band together and go cheat constantly. Um, anyway, and so he's cheating on her with a member of the Celtics team. And at first it was portrayed as though it was a consensual relationship, but then like now there's questions as to exactly how consensual it was. And long story short, he's suspended for a year, for a full year, which seems like a lot, you know, like at first to be clear, what they care about is that she's a member of the Celtics team, right? It's not, they're not policing his fidelity to Nia Long. I mean, obviously they're not policing fidelity in the NBA or the entire sport would be defunct, but that's neither here nor there. It's because she's a member of the team and, you know, like many corporations, they have policies against inter, uh, office fraternizing, which is fine. Um, now, Suspended for a year seems like a very long time, and they didn't even say what's happening after a year. They said they'll reassess after a year, and they're being super, super vague about it. So my guess, now I don't know if like the not-so-consensual is a situation where it's like, okay, he's in a position of power, and... um as someone in a position of power, you know, being the head coach of the Celtics, then like, even if she did quote unquote consent, that consent isn't meaningful, right? Because like power dynamics affect meaningful consent. Like the situation of like a student sleeping with a professor where like, yes, they're 18. Yes, they said they wanted to, but there's such a power imbalance where like, I don't know how meaningful that consent is. I don't know if it's that or if it's less consensual than that, I have no idea. My gut is there's something more to this. And I have a feeling they want to wait to see if it comes out. If it comes out, then they'll fully fire him. But if like a year goes on and it's like a really fast news cycle and we always move on and forget everything that has ever happened. I mean, the quickness with which we give a shit about something and then stop giving a shit about something is astounding in this society. But that's neither here nor there. Um, so yeah, I, I think they want to like wait it out to see 
what happens. That's my guess. I don't know if anyone has any sort of insider tea. Like I've never cared about anything more. And really the moral of the story is like, don't date people who are in or affiliated with the NBA because the NBA clearly encourages a culture of infidelity. Okay, let's do TV recs of the week. So first up, I have the... It's a Netflix movie. It's called Do Revenge. Um, the girl that was in Riverdale, uh, I believe her name is Camila Mendez, stunning, stunning Hispanic woman. Um, she's in it, and there's another person in it who I don't recognize from anything, but she's also wonderful. And then a few other people. Is the like lead guy in it Timothy Chamelay, Sha- Sha- or is it is that someone else? I don't know. Someone who looks like him. If it's not him, uh, who knows? It's cute. It's you know it's light. It's not life changing or anything, but it's like cute and kind of well done. Uh, also on Netflix, the Bling Ring documentary. Now. If you don't recall this happening, let me just marvel you in the golden age of reality television. Um, so basically, these like this group of LA teens were robbing celebrities' homes, but that's not the part that I care about. The part that I care about was there was this chick, Alexis Nyers. She was one of the teens robbing celebrity homes, and um, her family got a reality show. And so it's her mom. Her, her best friend who lives with her and her younger sister. And it is the most unhinged thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It was only, only on for one season. And I would say like the most iconic moment in reality te- television, maybe the most iconic moment in TV in general is she is calling this reporter who wrote a story about her, I want to say in Variety. And um, she was like really upset. She was like excited to read the story, but then she was like really upset about how she was portrayed in the article. And so she calls the reporter and she's like, like crying about how she got it wrong. And she's like, you said I was wearing five inch Louboutins when I was wearing little BB peep toes and it's like so unhinged and the mom is screaming in the background and she's crying it's truly a fantastic moment anyway so that chick has all grown up now I believe she's sober now which like great for her um love to see it and there's a documentary about the bling ring and I started it we really only maybe got like 10 minutes in but it was very very well done and I'm gonna finish it um, then there's a Hulu show. I'm sure you've heard of it. Tell me lies. I'm only a couple of episodes in, but everyone's obsessed with it. It seems very good. Very interesting. I do want to kind of analyze um, the lead characters attachment styles at a later point in time. So I don't know, watch it. Um, and then there's another Hulu show called reboot. That's like a comedy. It's like, like, it's like a, like a satirical, version satire on like um family sitcoms it's very very funny okay I want to shift gears into our actual topic of the day because I've cried and rambled for long enough um so I want to talk a bit about communication and attachment styles and how that affects communication so I like really thought of this because while Ozzy and I were in Colorado for the wedding Um, we had this like really, really nice chat the first night and I was really kind of marveling at how both of us have gotten so much better at communication. And so here's the thing. 
If you have anxious attachment, like generally speaking, people with anxious attachment, just in general life situations, they tend to overshare and they do that really as like a way of like seeking emotional vulnerability and connection early on. And they do that because like people with anxious attachment have a severe fear of abandonment. So there's like a subconscious part of your brain that thinks like, okay, like if I overshare and create this like vulnerable connection, then I'm less likely to be abandoned. But despite this oversharing thing, something that's actually really common with anxious attachment, which seems like kind of counter to that, is people who are anxiously attached have a, like a lot of trouble asking for like their needs, asking to have their needs met directly. And there's a bunch of reasons for this. Number one, with anxious attachment, it's really common to have a low view of yourself. So like with that subconsciously, you don't think you're worthy of having your needs met. But also people with anxious attachment don't want to rock the boat. They try to be needless to be loved. They perceive the relationship as fragile and that it can collapse at any time. So if things are fragile and can collapse at any time, you're certainly not going to add another straw to that camel's back for it to break. And that's what it feels like to voice your needs if you're someone who has anxious attachment. The problem is when triggered, people with anxious attachment also have a harder time regulating their emotions. Like literally the part of um, the brain that regulates emotions is underactive in that scenario. And you know, people with anxious attachment tend to think in extremes. And when they're triggered, just the negative emotions flood their brains. And, you know, like in the beginning, you can kind of like white knuckle it, right? Like I've been in so like every time I've started a new relationship historically, um, I'd be like, I'm going to act so cool. I'm going to be so chill. Like I'm going to be whatever, like so easygoing. And in the beginning, I would be able to control it. I could like really hold it in, even if I was anxious in the inside, even if like my needs weren't being met. I could like really hold it in for a really long time. But the thing is, eventually you explode because like we're humans, you know, and we have human needs and we have a human need to communicate and that will come out eventually. The problem is it'll come out in an explosive, accusatory, critical or threatening kind of way. Um, Again, this is like often seen in protest behaviors like calling and texting incessantly, uh, threatening to break up, playing games, keeping score, uh, attempting to make the partner jealous. For more on protest behaviors, go to two episodes ago. But it'll come out in these explosive ways because it's being held in, it's being held in, it's being held in, and then just it explodes out, right? And especially when like that part, that emotional regulation part of the brain isn't as active. So what ends up happening, I mean, the first few times might be fine, but eventually it'll push the partner away. And this is also kind of a shielding mechanism because when it's your behavior that pushes your partner away, then you can blame yourself, right? Like if someone just leaves you and you have no idea why they left you, you're left with this like, oh my God, what was wrong with me? I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. But when it's like, oh, I called him 600 times and we've only been dating for three weeks and like I literally blew up his phone, you're like, oh, I acted crazy. And so that kind of gives you an excuse. It kind of shields you from the pain of not knowing 
why they left you, right? And you might be left with like not knowing really if they left you because of your behavior or because they didn't love you, like deep down that's going on. But on the surface, you can just blame it on your behavior. And then in a post-conflict state, um, anxious attachment types will have extreme anxiety. So let's say it's like before they eventually leave you, but like you did something, you fucked up. Like we've all been there. We've all quote unquote acted crazy, or at least like people listening to this podcast have probably been there. So then with anxious attachment, like you're feeling so much extreme anxiety because like there's so much preoccupation with the relationship, right? It's not as simple as like, Like if you're secure, it's like, okay, we got in a fight, whatever. I'm going to go about my day and then we'll figure it out. No, if you have anxious attachment, you're quite literally preoccupied with the relationship. It's all you can think about now. Like it's like, I can't even tell you how many times I've been in relationships in the past where there was a fight or something and like nothing, nothing else mattered. Like I would have abandoned all of my life responsibilities. I would have not shown up to school if like that could somehow get it to like go back together. I would have like literally left work if that's what it took. It's just a complete preoccupation. And what you're really doing is like you're looking to alleviate the anxiety that you're feeling with reassurance. So what's very common in these situations with people who have anxious attachment is over-apologizing and over-explaining. And with both of those, you're looking like you're, you have a need for validation and reassurance. You're looking for reassurance that everything is okay. And ultimately you want to alleviate the discomfort of uncertainty. Because like after you have some kind of episode, there's like uncertainty, like, oh my God, is this person still going to want to be with me? You're looking to alleviate that discomfort with over explaining and over apologizing. So that's kind of everything that happens within the anxiously attached person's communication style. For avoidance, this is going to be really easy. Generally speaking, avoidance like to keep things light. They uh, like to avoid getting too deep, too vulnerable and too vulnerable. Avoidance also have difficulty voicing their needs, especially their need for space. Now, the avoidance need for space will trigger the anxiously attached person quite a bit. And that brings up the protest behaviors like playing games, manipulation, etc. Whereas if the avoidant person was dating a securely attached person, what would happen is the securely attached person would just be like, hey, what's going on? I feel you pulling away. Let's talk about it. You know, but like the anxiously attached person instead will be like, oh yeah, you took an hour to respond to my text. I'm going to take three hours, motherfucker. Booyah. You know, or, oh, you didn't like my Instagram photo. Guess what? I'm going to post a photo with my ex-boyfriend or whatever. Like I've done literally all those behaviors. Again, for more on protest behaviors, just go to two episodes ago. Also with the avoidant and with the avoidant, Um, what happens is they will confuse their need for space with a lack of attraction. So they might just like dip out of relationships because they're like, Ooh, I'm not into this person anymore. Whereas like what is actually happening is they need space or they'll stick around for long enough if they're dating an anxiously attached person until the anxiously attached person reverts to their protest behavior. And then that pushes them away. With fearful avoidance, all of the above is happening. Everything that anxious does and everything that avoidant does, fearfully avoid, a fearful avoidant people will do. Securely attached people, 
generally speaking, are vulnerable and they share, but they keep things light early on. They don't react strongly. They don't get overwhelmed as easily. A lot of that goes back to subconsciously, they believe they are worthy of love because they had the types of childhoods (laughs) that imprinted the idea that they are worthy of love. And they believe that their partner will be responsive and caring, again, because their childhood experiences imprinted that as children when people who have secure attachment had needs their parents were responsive and caring. So they have reason to believe that people in adulthood will also be responsive and caring. Securely attached people will ask for what they need and securely attached people will ask what's going on when they have uncertainty. So why are we talking about this? What's the takeaway here? Obviously, we want to all get to a point where we can effectively communicate. Now, effective communication, there's like several pillars of of it. Like number one for me, I would say is like you need to have space and you need the other person to have space. So by that, I mean like don't try to talk to someone when they're in the middle of like, uh, you know, doing something for their work deadline. And also simultaneously, don't talk to someone when you are triggered, when you're upset, when you're not calm, because like you don't have space in that scenario. So that's the number one thing. Number two, you need to be vulnerable and you need to be honest. A lot of that involves being aware of your own needs, because like I know I've been in so many fucking situations in my life where I've been completely fucking unaware of my own needs. So you need to be aware of your needs. You want to ask for your needs instead of accusing. So for example, instead of saying something like, oh, it's so fucked up when you don't text me regularly, you want to say something like, hey, when I don't hear from you regularly, I start to worry that you don't like me anymore. Do you think you could make it a point to text me X number of times per Y? I don't know, two times per day or whatever, (laughs) three times per week. I don't know, whatever it is that will make you feel secure and calm. That's just an example. Be specific. Look at what I just said. It specifies exactly what happened. It it specified exactly how it made them feel and it specified exactly what they needed. And lastly, you want to be assertive. You're allowed to have whatever needs that you have. There is no illegitimate need. And people are also allowed to be incapable of meeting your needs and saying that. I really think the reason that communication fails is because people like me historically who have anxious type patterning are afraid to voice our needs because we're afraid that people can't meet those needs and then we lose them. And like, that's the thing. It's just like someone was asking me the other day about something about like anxious uh, attachment, like protest behavior. And she's like, do you think it's like fair to ask someone to like stick around for that. And I was like, no, I think people all have their own boundaries. And like, we all have certain things that we can give and we all have certain things that we can't give. And like, no one is wrong in that scenario. It's just like, if you have needs that your partner can't meet, it doesn't mean your partner is an asshole. It just means that you are not right for each other. And that's a really painful truth, especially when you have anxious attachment and it's like, 
a big marker of anxious attachment is scarcity mindset, right? It's the hard time like looking at like, okay, if this fails, there's someone else. And a lot of that is because like we grew up with Disney. We grew up with talks of the one. And now we have like fucking Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox talking about being twin flames nonstop. We grew, we are in a culture where there's just so much emphasis on this person has to be it. But this person doesn't have to be it. And here's the thing. Everything I just said about effective communication is well and good. And it's like, cool, cool, cool. I'll try to do those things. The issue is, and like, oh, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. I'll remember that there's other people. And like, I remember, you know, after, after having done so much work on myself, I was like, you know, I just need to remind myself that there's like 8 billion people in the world. And if that's person can't meet my needs or someone else, yada, yada. But the thing is like, no matter what you do on the conscious plane, it's there. Everything is coming from your subconscious. Everything is projecting from your subconscious. And so it's so hard to take steps on the conscious plane when your subconscious is somewhere else. It's like you can tell yourself until you're blue in the face that you have to be assertive about your needs and that if someone can't meet your needs, you'll meet someone else who can meet your needs. I just said meet so many times in that sentence. But the thing is, like, if you don't believe it on a subconscious level, you're still going to be clinging on to this person because subconsciously you're like, fuck, if this ends, there's no one else. And so you won't actually be assertive about your needs, no matter how hard that you try. And like, same thing with everything else I've talked about in this episode. It's like, uh, like with the um, anxiously attached, like, reacting so negatively and like going to extremes and like exploding and all this thing. Like, like I said, like I used to try to white knuckle it so hard and just control my behavior, but like eventually it will come out. So instead, what I always advocate for is the subconscious work. And maybe it's just because I'm like fucking lazy and I don't want to try so hard, but really ultimately it's because I have tried for like you know, over a decade, maybe or like a decade, tried to control my behavior and eventually it would pop up because it's the subconscious wounds that are making it go there. And really what it comes down to is like getting rid of the trauma where your needs weren't met because with both anxiously attached and um, avoiding people, there's some element of your needs that were not met. And so you just anticipate your needs not being met. Like with avoidant people, they're not even aware that they need space because they have grown up in such lack of their needs being met, you know, like they, like every time an avoidant needed connection, they weren't able to, well, not every time, but, um, you know, routinely their needs weren't met. So they just have a full imprint that their needs will never be met. Therefore, they don't need to even need to be aware of their needs or voice their needs or anything like that. Right. Same thing with anxious. It's often different types of needs that weren't met. It's usually like emotional needs. Oftentimes it's needs for independence and autonomy and like, being your own person, those needs were often not met with an anxiously attached person. But nevertheless, there's just an ongoing, my needs will not be met. And our brains will always seek out what's comfortable for it rather than what it actually wants. You know, it'll seek out the, uh, like the thing that it knows because that's what gives it comfort, even if it fucking hates that thing. So 
again, like I feel like I talk about this a lot, but I always advocate for doing the subconscious work because once you do the subconscious work, it'll be so easy for you to be vulnerable and honest. You'll know exactly what your needs are. It'll be so easy for you to be assertive about them because you know, like I was looking at it. I have no issue voicing my needs to Ozzy. And it's like in part because like I really I've seen over and over again and I deeply believe that he will meet them because I've seen him do it over and over again. He always responds well. And also like subconsciously, I think I believe I'm worthy of my needs being met. But also if he can't meet a need of mine, if like down the line at some point something changes and he can't meet my needs, I also am fine walking away. I love him. Like I do I think that there's probably someone better out there for me? I think it's very, very unlikely. Like, I think we're really fucking compatible and we're really fucking happy together. But guess what? If he stops meeting my needs, then we're done. And I know that there will be someone else that can, or I'll just be fucking alone, which is also fine because like I can meet my own fucking needs. Booyah. Um, but seriously, like, and that's not like, from any amount of me trying to do it on the conscious level, it's from me going into my subconscious mind, pulling up traumatic memories, reprocessing that trauma, and then creating new neural pathways of a secure type of childhood. And that literally rewired my brain to show up as more of a secure person. And that is exactly what I teach in my courses. And maybe that's the method that'll work for you. Maybe there's another methodology that'll work for you. I don't know. But again, I, I can't emphasize enough doing the subconscious work. Okay, I'm not in the episode here before I start crying again. I'm so sorry I started crying. And to be clear, like, I just... Like, please just share. That's all I'm saying. Especially if you've shared about everything else, share about this. It's never enough. All we can do is draw attention to it. Um, okay, love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking through me sobbing. Like, I'm actually super, super embarrassed. But it is what it is. Um, you know the drill. Rate, review, subscribe, share, etc. Um, yeah. Okay. Thanks. Love you guys. See you next week for episode 99.